Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pillars. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Of course, I'm Dylan Bowman, and this week I'm joined by my friend, the ultra sensation that is David Laney. David, of course, is now a seasoned veteran of the circuit, but as you'll hear, I was lucky to have a front row seat to his initial introduction to the amazing, wonderful, life-changing sport of long-distance trail running way back in 2013, when he and I and some other characters took a trip down to the Grand Canyon. It was a memorable trip for me. Uh, He and I have been buddies ever since, and I have always been a big fan of his, so this was an absolute pleasure to record. David uh, recently made big news, which is one of the reasons why we decided to record together now, and that news was his departure from longtime sponsor Nike to join upstart Swedish brand Kraft Sportswear. Uh, They've been big in cycling and ski, but uh, they seem to be making a big push into the world of running. So we talk a lot about that move, what went into this decision, uh, but we also talk about some of the highs and lows in David's career and what he has learned along the way. David is truly one of the good guys on the circuit. There's a lot of wisdom in this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. David Laney, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. I'm doing, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good man, good. It's a uh, it's a snowy winter's day here in Portland. You can see my uh, both of us. We're we're yeah. all uh, we're all bundled up Ugh. with down uh, down jackets on, like we're preparing for yeah. Everest or something like that. I think uh, we're getting soft. It's freezing out there. Well, I just got out of my ice bath. It was, <laughs> it was 33 degrees. So. <laughs> Dude, that's... <laughs> Warming that's, back up slowly. That's commitment. Do you have the sauna yes. going too? I wish. I'm, I was looking online last night. Yeah. They're kind of, they're pretty expensive, but well, yeah, I do want to buy one. They are expensive. We invested in one. So um, you, I, I can uh, tell you from experience, it. it's actually sitting not far from where I am right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Good investment, but certainly set us back yeah. a, a little bit. Um, yeah. But but I've been looking into those, those horse trough things to put in the backyard. Yeah. Is that what you mm-hmm. use for your ice bath? Exactly. Yeah. It works perfectly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's awesome. You you get your Wim Hof going in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sweet. Well, uh, how are, how are things up in Bellingham? I, uh, I've never been up there myself, but I know, uh, you've made that, that place, that community, your home for a little while. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You got to come up. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a smaller town, kind of like Bend. Um, and there's just trails all in town, which is really awesome. Lots of like old um, logging roads and like a rail trail. Um, so a nice, really flat, long gravel road, gravel dirt bike path. And then Chuckanuts, you know, there's lots of like wildwood type, forest park type trails. Um, and that's all in town. And that's great. And then once you get kind of out of town a little bit, um, the North Cascades are really only 30, 40, 45, maybe an hour away, depending on what trailheads you're going to. Uh, and then it's just like a Alpine wonderland. Like yeah. it's just endless, you know, basically like, yeah, you could spend a lifetime. Yeah, that's, that's what everybody says. And we uh, desperately yeah. wanted yeah, to yeah. make... 
we, we were supposed to make a trip up there this summer just because, uh, you know, I'm trying to kind of get to know the, the yeah. neighborhood a little bit better here in the Northwest. And uh, yeah, totally. Bellingham just seems like my type of town, you know, it's got yeah. the, the access to the recreation. It's a little bit quieter. You're on the water mm-hmm. too. You're not far from the yeah. Canadian border and the most beautiful city in the world that is Vancouver. <sighs> Vancouver um, is amazing. Yeah. Well, yes. dude, uh, yeah, keep, keep your couch warm for me. Yeah. I'll, you gotta come up. Yeah. Anytime you guys are welcome <laughs> to stay. Yeah. Sweet man. All right. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I think, uh, before we go any further, I think it's important for us to enlighten the audience about our first interaction and where our friendship started and, uh, yeah. share the story of our trip to the grand Canyon back in 2013, because it was a really special, special memory for me. And I think, uh, maybe a pivotal moment yeah. in, in your running career. So why don't you yeah, reflect, reflect on, uh, on that story, on that road trip and, uh, paint the picture of where the trail running yeah. institution that is David Laney, where that story began. So, yeah, that was, that was actually really fun. And it really was a pivotal point, um, in my running career. So, yeah. So Ryan Gelfie and I were living in an apartment in Ashland and I guess Ryan had talked to Ricky and for some reason or something happened and they're like let's go around the grand canyon and then ricky must have talked to you and been like hey come on down and so all i remember is we showed up in some parking lot and it's in my tiny car (laughs) and it's you and me and ricky and gelfie yeah and the car is just full of like you know bags and we go down to the Grand Canyon, drive down, tiny car, sleep on the rim, like yep. in the woods. Yep. <laughs> and then went for the rim to rim to rim. The next day, you three, you ran really fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, relatively. Well, uh, it, in, in 2013, it probably uh, so it counted was, as a fast time. But I remember, and yeah, I remember on the way down, we got a text or you or Ricky got a text that Carr had just, we, so we had the idea of getting the FKT. Right. And then as we're driving down, it was, we learned that it got a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. So to paint the picture, Ricky and I, I pick Ricky up in San Francisco. He and I drive yeah. out to Tracy, California, which is in the central Valley. You and Gelfie are driving okay. down from Ashland. We consolidate mm-hmm. into one car. And for some reason we chose to get in your car instead of mine. Right. I think you were just like, yeah, I don't mind driving. And uh, yeah. so we, we all pile into your car and I had just run Miwok the weekend before, but Miwok which is supposed to be a hundred kilometer race. They shortened Mm -hmm. it to 60 Ks. And I knew Ricky was going down to the Grand Canyon the next weekend with, with record setting ambitions. And so I texted him because Miwok had been shortened and I was getting ready for Western States. And I felt like I needed another long one um, in order to to make up for the lost mileage at at Miwok. So I pick up Ricky and uh, yeah, at least he and Gelfie and Jason Wolf, who lived in Flagstaff, who oh, we were planning right. to meet, yeah. meet up with, they all had record ambitions. And at that point, it yeah. was Dakota Jones's record at just under seven hours, I think, 655 mm-hmm. or something like that. 
And uh, as we were driving down to the Grand Canyon, we received a message, I think, from Ian Torrance that Rob Crar, who is also on the ascent, uh, you know, his meteoric rise in the sport of trail and ultra running mm-hmm. before he'd had sponsors or anything had just yeah. smashed. This is like 2013, right? <laughs> 2013. Okay. 2013. This is yeah. way back. Yeah. So he had, he had just smashed the record and all of a sudden it became a lot more real for, for Ricky and Gelfi and, and Jason Wolf. And then you and I, I mean, I was there to just have a long run and, and you yeah. were just there for a little road trip. So, so talk about that because this, totally. you weren't, you weren't even coming to do the full rim to rim to rim. This is before you really had ultra ambitions. So tell us about what totally. your mindset was and maybe how it changed because of that trip. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'd run the Eugene Marathon the week before and was really in like the road. You know, I'd run like a couple trail races, but I was really in the short trail road world still. Um but was kind of like, I was working at Rogue Valley Runners at the time. So I was definitely in that, like starting to get into that world. Yeah. Um, and then I remember going down there, like sleeping in the woods the <laughs> night before, getting up really early so we could beat the mule train down. Right. Uh, you know, having just an awesome day in the camp, like the beauty is just unparalleled. Unbelievable. Uh, and hanging out with a really cool group of people and then getting to hang out with the Flagstaff crew, like Brian Tinder and all those guys Yeah. after. And it was just like, uh, you know, like we talk about the ultra community a lot, Yeah. but you just like really feel it. And you're like, yeah, this is better than road and track. Like <laughs> way better. <laughs> like I just really like, you know, not, those guys are cool and all, but they mostly do their own thing for the most part. Right. Uh, so, and so it's just like, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So you just kind of like did, did your own loop in the Canyon uh, while we all kind of like suffered through the rim to rim to rim. Totally, yeah. Do, do yeah. you, did that sort of like, was that one of the initial motivators for you to actually like step up in distance or, or move away from kind of the road and, and shorter racing scene and, and try your hand and in, in trail and ultra running? Yeah, you know, it was it was like a new idea to me that one could just go out and spend, you know, I think I spent probably five hours out there. Right. But like I got a lemonade at Phantom Ranch and I wrote my mom a postcard. <laughs> and like Long I still dream. ran probably 25 miles. Right. Uh, but you know, I hiked and just kind of like just went out and enjoyed it. And I was like, this is awesome. Like yeah. this is kind of training. And uh yeah, it was like really eye-opening that that training didn't just mean getting on a track and doing intervals or going out and doing a road tempo. You know, it's like really, really fun. Yeah. So some of the highlights uh, for me, I mean, one of the things I thought was so so funny and memorable. You know, you're you're like a relatively quiet guy, you know, and and you weren't like terribly yeah. talkative, and mm-hmm. and the thing that I remembered was that you drove every minute in each direction, you know? And I think it's like a 15 hour drive from Tracy to Flagstaff. 
And of course you guys came even further because you started in, in Ashland mm-hmm. and it was just like, yeah. you know, whenever we volunteered to jump in the driver's seat and give you a break, you're just like, no, no, I enjoy it. I'm, I enjoy the drive. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. it was so funny. And, and also you mentioned us, uh, sort of crashing out in the woods, you know, sort of dirt back yeah. it. It's probably a legal thing to do where we were doing it, but oh, hopefully yeah. the, the statute of limitations is, has yeah. run up uh, from that. But then, yeah, also, I th- yeah, I think we did stay at, did we stay at Brian Tinder's house or Ian Torrance's house? Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, I think both of, I think we stayed at Ian's house before for a night and then Tinder's house after. For yeah. Well, what a great memory, man. It's like, you know, we it had was. the, we had the front row seat to uh, David Laney's first foray <laughs> and, and to real uh, trail and mountain running. So I think, you know, I can take personal credit for all the, the success that you've had along the yeah. way. So yeah. well, it's awesome, awesome to reminisce. It was so really fun. Before we kind of uh, get a little bit closer to more present day, I want to talk about the 2015 UTMB because uh, that was like one of the most amazing things to watch that year. And I was doing the English commentary as you guys Mm -hmm. were battling it out for the second through fourth positions. And you just ran like such an incredible race that day, just like the most textbook executed performance (laughs) on that race course, you know, that, that I can remember in recent memory. Um, so I, I, we all have these like magical races, right. Where, things go really well and we just execute things flawlessly and we can look back with like huge pride at having sort of like figured it out at least for one day. Um, you know, you going from like 30th or 50th place or whatever you were in Lake Contamine to third or, uh, yeah, to, to third place at the finish, making up huge deficits in the second half of the race. Mm. Talk a bit about that performance, um, how it, yeah, how you look at it now with what almost five five and a half years of perspective, and uh, yes. what what maybe you learned from it, and and how it kind of shaped your your career and how you approach the sport. Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Uh, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I think I think the first thing. So I'd run it. I'd run a couple hundreds, not super. I'd run Western States a few times, uh, before, but it was definitely my first hundred ma- big mountain hundred, um, that was going to take more than like a longer time. Uh, and so looking back at it, the, the thing I was like studying was really more the people who raced it rather than a course. And I was like, the, the person who's run this race, the best of anyone in the world is Rory Bozio. And so I just, essentially looked at what she did and tried to copy it. Uh, And she just paced it flawlessly. She was in, you know, she was way back. She was in like the, you know, 80 to a hundred at 50 K. And then, you know, she got four or seventh overall first female. Incredible performance. Uh, I I think one of of the greatest overall. Right. Yeah. The best, best ultra performance ever. You know, before we go any further, I think it's important to sort of highlight this because I think people who are newer to the sport don't remember this performance from Rory Bozio. And it was actually Mm -hmm. 2013, the year that you and I met at the Grand Canyon that this, that this happened. And what you're saying is, is totally true. You know, Rory just absolutely stormed the last, the second half of the race 
ultimately broke the course mm-hmm. record by like two or two and a half hours and finished yeah. seventh overall. And the course record that she broke yeah. was um, Lizzie Hawker's course record, who at that point mm-hmm. was was the best in the world and maybe four or five time champion of the UTMB. And now, even though it's a slightly different course, it's a time that is like two hours faster than what Courtney DeWalter ran last year. So even though, you know, we're comparing apples and oranges, like absolutely mind boggling performance and she executed it similar to you. So sorry, pick up around, you know, um, you know, sort of like the halfway point Cormier, how things are going at that point. And you sort of like, give us a glimpse into your psychology over those, those last insanely hard 50 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So I essentially tried to mirror what she did, went out really pretty conservatively. Um, and it was in kind of the forties and fifties, um, came into Cormier, you know, like just really comfortable. Uh, I don't know what place I was in probably, probably low thirties, maybe high twenties. Uh, but just everything was just pretty casual. And then after Cormier, things started to click going up Grand Col Foray, uh, felt really strong. And then after that kind of let the, let the reins off. Um, and then I was like, you know, if I can race, like start racing now, uh, you know, this is kind of the time came down Grand Col Foray. And then it's like, you know, you have a really nice 20 K of like pretty quick running. Yep. Um, and at that point I just started really getting after it. Uh, and then the last three climbs, all like, all I can remember is thinking at one point I was going to die. Yeah. And it was just like this like vicious cycle of pain turning into energy. And so I could just go harder. Just the more I put into the machine, the more energy would come out. And it was like, pure bliss like yeah it's like torture but bliss at the same time and it was it was insane dude yeah. i mean what a what a beautiful way to describe it i think we all can sort of point to races or, or even training runs that we've had where that feels to be the mm-hmm. case where yeah. like you, you feel the energy and you have like mm-hmm. that that pep in your step even though yeah. like you're just completely suffering And, you know, for, for, you know, for those who don't have as much of a photographic memory as me, I was doing the English, English commentary at the time. And, uh, you came into Valor scene, which is the last aid station before the last sort of major aid station before the finish line in Chamonix. I think you probably have, I don't know, 12, 14 miles left at that point and won the last huge climb. And yeah. at that point you, you'd been making up huge ground. We were all sort of like following you as you uh, sort of moved through the field, but you came, you came through in fourth place there. You're uh, about 15 minutes behind Seth Swanson and Luis Alberto Hernando, who were battling, battling yeah. out for second and third. And of course this is the year Xavier won by an hour and an absolutely amazing yeah. performance. I think it was his, yeah. his second victory. And mm-hmm. And so we're all just like, so like, you know, 
impressed by David Laney, you know, working his way all the way up into fourth place, but with one climb left, he's 15 minutes behind second and third. And we're like, well, you know, it looks like Laney's going to keep it, you know, he's safely in fourth place, but it, it looks like Seth and, and uh, Lewis Alberto are battling for second and third right now. Yeah. So, so pick up there because you know, yeah. that the final climb of the race, as you go up to the Flagere, I mean, is, is mm-hmm. sort of a, I don't know, an infamous part of the course, a notorious yeah. part of the course. And you manage to make up like all 15 minutes or, you know, 13 of the 15 mm-hmm. minutes. And so, yeah. so pick up, pick up from there and then how, how it ultimately played out, uh, you know, on the final downhill and on the streets of Chamonix. Yeah. Yeah. So come out of Allerstein, run up the, you know, you're kind of just off the side of the road for 5k. And then you hit that cool Demonet climb and you're, it's super exposed. Uh, it's really, really hot. It's super steep. And that's, that's the moment, like at the, probably at three quarters of the way up that climb, I was like, I'm going to die out here. Like, like I've, I'm just too deep and I can't stop. Right. Like I can't slow down and I can't ease off. And like, it, it really felt like this is where, this is how it ends. Cause I just <laughs> couldn't, like I couldn't get cooled down at all. And I um, couldn't, I just couldn't slow down. Like it was just like, it was just like a dog that just like, yeah. It was, incredible. Just it and then thankfully it flattened out and so then you're you know running much faster you're getting cool air um there's water up at the top so i could cool down uh and then you know came back to life um on that flat section up to the last aid station and then came through there and people were just yelling i think that's where you were no, dude, um, I was, I was on the, well, you I, I was on the mic, dude. I was, I was in oh. Chamonix watching this, you know, okay. do, doing the, doing okay. the live commentary. Okay. It was the Somebody best. Was it was, it was the yeah. best, man. It was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. So people are just yelling and they're like, you, like your Seth is not that far up. And I was like, I mean, I can see a long way. He was obviously a long way. Yeah. I can't see him. Uh-huh. Um, but then we got down into the woods and they're like, no man, like they're two minutes ahead of you. Yep. And so then I get, I catch Seth and I run together. We run together for like a minute or two. And I'm like, how far up is the lease? And he's like, not that far. And I was like, well, let's go get him. Like, you know, let's work together. Yeah. And then Seth took a big tumble. So, you know, I waited for a second, just, you know, and he was fine. He's like, no, just go. Yeah. And then at that point, it was just like blinding. Like, like I was, it just felt like a sprint, like just redlining. And I was like, I have 5K left. Like, <laughs> I, and it was just like, you just couldn't, I just couldn't slow down. Like, it was, yeah. It was just like nuclear. <laughs> it's just like, so, so yeah. for, for the audience, I mean, that, that means that you basically went from like 50th place at, at, uh, Lake Contamine to third place at the finish mm-hmm. and absolutely like textbook executed race performance compliments of, uh, Rory Bozio's examples. Yeah. So shout, shout, out to Rory. shout out yeah. to Rory. 
But, you know, it's, it's like a, I think a great learning experience, not only for you and your development as an athlete, but, you know, for all the young athletes in the sport who have ambitions of performing well at a race like that, you know, and the sport has developed to the point where, you know, you see how Pal Capel raced it last year, you yeah. know, or he had, he had a 20 minute lead on the Col de Bonhomme and won the race by mm -hmm. 45 minutes, just absolutely yeah. insane. But, yeah. you know, there, there is opportunity to, to, when you play your cards, right. I mean, that's a beautiful thing about the sport is like, there's so many different strategies. There's so many different tactics, you know, when it comes to equipment, nutrition, pacing, it's just like, there's a million different ways to skin the cat. Yeah. And that day yeah. it was just like, so perfect for you and, and shout out to Seth Swanson too. Cause I, I think he feels yeah. like that that's one that kind of got away from him too. And I've never talked to him about, you know, that, that, uh, yard mm -hmm. sale on the trail, but like, what yeah. a great, what a great example of sportsmanship of him telling you, you know, Hey, don't wait for me, man, go get them. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah. when his, he sees his sort of podium place slip away, but yeah. man, yeah. so awesome. So fun to, uh, to reminisce about that. And I know you've said yeah. before, like that, that race kind of had some physical consequences. Um, and you talked yeah, a bit time. about, about how much it hurt, uh, mm -hmm. sh share a little bit about, you know, maybe what those consequences are. I think it's important to sort of ba balance the, the good with, uh, you know, the real yeah. stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. So I came back and I came back to the States and I remember the month of September uh, was just, like, it was a, it, I, I, like, it was a difficult month. Um, I just remember waking up every day and feeling like I got hit by a bus mm. and just like going out for a little jog and being like, there is something very wrong with my body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my feet, like I couldn't feel most, I couldn't feel my feet for about three or four months, mm. like no feeling like <laughs> Uh, they were super swollen after the race. And then I got on an airplane, they got swollen. They were just like really messed up. Yeah. Um, I spent, yeah, I spent most of that month, like in bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really didn't do any, like, I just, you know, and it took probably six months to get back to running where I felt good yeah. and normal. Uh, yeah, I think it was just, it was definitely the longest I've ever run really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I paid for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think we've, we've all felt that yeah. to one, one degree or the other. And it's sort of like, you know, it's the, the price you have to pay, I guess, sometimes to have these like transcendental ex life experiences out on the trail, yeah. but like, it's not, always, you know, easy to deal with in real time. And, and I think, you yeah. know, part of the reason why we see so much attrition in UTMB is because people mm -hmm. don't really, uh, race in this, in the, with the mindset that you did that year in 2015, uh, especially on the men's side, you know, everybody's going in with such high competitive aspirations and with such a high level of fitness that, you know, it, the, when the first or, you know, second bit of adversity comes along over the course of that insanely brutal course, um, it's just either you can't just physically can't make it to the finish line or once your competitive ambitions yeah. are out the window, it's like, you know, a lot of people don't see the reason and continuing on. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. 
and I think your, your performance is so emblematic of that. I mean, that those, those last 50 K of that course, you know, is so underrated. It's like the hardest part of the whole race. And especially when you're on the absolute red line, like you were to move through the whole field over the course of that last 50 K. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a 170 kilometer race with, uh, you know, 30, 30,000 feet of climbing. And so there's going to be consequences, but when you push that freaking hard, so it, it leads me into, you know, kind of, I mean, amazing performance. You went back the next year and had another fantastic result, but in the last couple of years, sort of things have been somewhat hot and cold for you. You've had mm-hmm. some ups and downs. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I recall you and I, uh, were chatting after, uh, Lake Sonoma, I think it was in 2018, you'd done the race mm-hmm. and you, uh, yeah. You, you had what I think for you was probably a disappointing performance. I think you finished ninth and sort of mm-hmm. in a moment of honesty, as we were chatting, you, you sort of voiced your skepticism as to whether or not you still had it. You know, I think you, yeah. you, you'd probably been feeling as if you'd been paying the piper for a while or, you know, accumulated mm-hmm. a lot of these hugely stressful race experiences. Talk a bit about the, the sort of that moment in your career. And um, if you feel like you've, you've navigated it well and what you've learned. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, so 2015, obviously things went really well. 2016, things went pretty well again. Um, and then 2017, you know, went back to UTMB and got 14th. And so it's like you get third and fourth and then you get 14th without a real good reason. Um, you know, it wasn't like something went right, well poorly during the race or something like that. It just kind of didn't put it together. Um, and then kind of had a couple other races that were just kind of subpar Sonoma being one of them. And I was just kind of, you know, not totally putting the training together and not obviously putting the racing together. And it was just kind of what's like, what's, um, what's the missing puzzle piece here? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, sorry, I think that's my dog. That's all good, dude. <laughs> and then, so I think after a while, I was just like, you know, it's it's possible that that I just like I'm just old. Like maybe I'm just can't can't put it together. Maybe I just can't. Um, I mean, did you, you know, think it was really to... age? Did you think it was age or like, you know, the fact that you put yourself through so much and yeah, just that's a few exactly. years more of that, you know, yeah. I've, I've been racing, I mean, pretty competitively since I'm like 12 years old. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe I'm just, maybe I've just punched my ticket enough times and, mm-hmm. but, but I would still go out and do have sessions and put together weeks and be like, Oh, like, this went well, like I should be able to put together a race, but it just never came together. And then, so 2018, really after Sonoma, I'm just, I'm going to step back um, and just reevaluate a lot of things from a training standpoint uh, and from a life standpoint, just kind of like go back to square one. Yeah. Um, start doing like, you know, just start doing like a little bit more PT stuff, like work out some of these little, you know, foot issues that have been annoying or that kind of stuff. Do a little bit of strength work. Um, 
you know, just like just little things um, that I realized that you don't have to do when you're 21. Yeah. Uh, but when you're 29 or 30, really yeah. make a big difference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 2018, 2019, we're really more focused on just kind of like putting the pieces back together and see if we can make another run at it. And yeah, now I feel as good as I did in, you know, early years. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. And it's, it's so good. Yeah. I think for people to listen to someone like you talk about the things that they learn. So maybe give some, some, some of the concrete things, obviously you said you were doing some PT stuff, trying mm-hmm. to improve, improve your strength. Um, anything in particular that you think, um, you did particularly well to get back to a point now where you have total confidence in your, in your body and in your fitness again? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the biggest things, and this has kind of been a blessing in disguise of the last year, but man, not racing, <laughs> like when you can put together a 20 week block and yeah. not have a race and then stack another block on top of that. Like, I feel like, I feel so much better when I don't race all the time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, your fitness can just like keep bumping, bumping. I mean, when races start happening back, guys are going to be fit. Yeah. Like it's going to be insane. <laughs> right. Or they're going to be like uh, totally not fit. <laughs> at least oh, like, yeah. at least oh, like race, happened? at least race fit, you know, there'll be some epic yeah. implosions. Dude, totally. it's such a good point. And I think, you know, you and I have both kind of lived through the sort of like overtraining syndrome mm-hmm. period in yeah. the sport, which I feel like yeah. as a sport, we've navigated pretty well, but to your yeah. point, you know, I think a better word for it is over racing syndrome. And there's so many examples from our generation and I'm Mm -hmm. a little bit older than you. I've been in the sport a little bit longer than you, but we're both veterans at this point of people who, you know, aren't necessarily like, yeah, they're, they're training hard, but when you have those sort of like epic energy implosions that it takes a couple of years to come back from, it, it seems to be more correlated to putting ourselves through those like absolute vision quest experiences where we're just tapping the bottom of the well, like you did at UTMB in 2015. And where you see like, well, I was third in 2015 and 2017, I'm 14th. Like, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm training that much less or whatever. It's, um, you know, probably a situation where your body is just can't tap that button again or whatever you Mm -hmm. said, you know, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a fucking hard thing to, to navigate. And I I think you just said that you've been a runner since you've been running competitively since you were 12 and probably have a lot of your identity wrapped up in being able to run fast. Did you have any, uh, sort of like, in introspective moments, did you ever, uh, I mean, how, oh, yeah. how did that, how did that, how'd that impact sort of like your feeling about yourself and your, your worthiness of, uh, of, uh, you know, respect from the world at large? Totally. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic question. We could spend <laughs> hours around the campfire talking about that. <laughs> or on a therapist's um, couch or something. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. That too. I probably need that too. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Dude. Um, yeah. 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 You know, it, it is really true. Like you, I think, you know, athletes in general, like wrap their identity, like, absolutely. I'll say it for myself. My identity was in the fact that I 
ran yeah. a lot. Yeah. And if something stopped me from running, like a sore calf, I was like, uh, un- like not unfunctional, but yeah, basically unfunctional. Like, wow. I could not be happy. Really? If I couldn't go running every day or twice a day. Yeah. Uh, and like, that's just like, you know, regardless of your belief system in yeah. the world, that's not a good, that's not going to be good. Yeah. Uh, when you put that kind of, like when you've built running into something, given it a platform that it doesn't deserve, mm-hmm. uh, like I love running, running is awesome and does a lot of great things, but when you give it a place in your life that it absolutely shouldn't have, Uh, it'll destroy you and yeah, it'll, you can allow it to totally destroy you and, and you'll do so willingly thinking it's the best thing for you. And it's really not. So yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. Able to like, you know, from when I was 12 to 29, pretty much lived in this system where that was the thing that I sacrificed everything to myself like I sacrificed myself to this running god essentially oh yeah and when I could get away from that it was like oh I I enjoy running um but I other things are good too and I don't have to (laughs) give it this platform (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's funny it reminds me of a the podcast I did recently with Joe Grant where he's talking about something similar you know it's it's such a worthwhile thing to do in life to just be so all in on training and Mm -hmm. running and have no distractions and no Mm -hmm. obligations and wrap wrap everything you are into the sport and and make it almost like a religion Mm -hmm. like you're sort of uh kind of implying a little bit but i mean god damn when it starts to unravel that's a precarious position that you're in and so as long as you have awareness that like it's a fleeting thing and it's not going to last forever and you you're going to need to dissociate to sort of like your uh, feeling of being a good person from your ability to perform well um Mm -hmm. i think that's a that's a tough lesson that we all that we all have to learn so yeah. Yeah. Pre- appreciate you sharing that. So yeah, totally, yeah. let's, uh, let's talk about some big news that, uh, you made recently, something that, mm-hmm. uh, I was at least surprised to see when you made the announcement that is, uh, you signing on, uh, with a new partner, a new, a new main partner oh, yeah. that is, uh, yeah craft craft sportswear um yeah and i I have to correct myself because uh in an early sort of like uh an earlier podcast uh i said something to the effect of that craft was a canadian company and i had multiple people (laughs) reach out to me and say no they're swedish they're swedish so yeah yeah my my bad to to craft sportswear and the swedish uh listeners out there yeah um well i i think first just like tell us a little bit about the brand since they're sort of newer Mm -hmm. to the trail running space but they're they're, they're big and in, in like Nordic skiing winter sports. Um, yeah. and it's awesome. It's awesome to see a brand sort of put so much investment, not only in athletes, but in product. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, talk about, uh, craft that partnership, how it came to be and, and just a little background on the brand. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So they're Swedish, exactly like what you said, um, really in the ski world, um, 
you know, I've been actually road cycling as well. I, I use their stuff for road cycling for a long time mm. and it's just really good. Uh, so I, I was familiar with the brand. Um, but it wasn't until Tommy actually sent me an email about a year ago, little, yeah, about May of maybe April or May of last year. And was like, Hey, you know, craft starting a trail team or, uh, running long distance running team, essentially. Um, uh, do you have any interest in being a part of that? And I was like, uh, you know, my contract's up end of this year. Like I'd love to chat. Um, and then, you know, after talking to him and seeing what was going on, I was just like really psyched on it. Uh, and so it ended up being a really, really good fit. And yeah, I was, I was really excited. The new shoe came out or was, it's been out for a while, but, um, launched on the website last m- month. And it's really, really, really fun run, fun shoe to run in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So I guess, uh, yeah, tell us a, a little bit about the shoe, the product, and mm-hmm. maybe like what the vision is for craft. I mean, it seems like they're they're yeah. making a pretty big commitment to the sport mm-hmm. of, of trail running. Are they also uh, sort of like trying to have a presence in in road running? Do you, can is there anything you can share without uh, disclosing exactly. things that you shouldn't? Yeah. Uh, totally. yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they will do, uh, it'll, they'll have, I think this is public, but there'll be, there'll be multiple shoes, trail and road, uh, racing product. Um, and they're really, really good. Uh, you know, the, the carbon CTM carbon, which is their shoe that's out right now, it's kind of a little bit more versatile, um, an ultra shoe, but kind of like a road trail hybrid. Um, so it's great on stuff like Sonoma, like mm. trails that are pretty, um, for the most part, smooth and nice. Mm-hmm. Um, good on the roads and fine on like, you know, shorter sections of technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, it's it's awesome to see, you know, the commitment to the sport and yeah the, it seems to be an intelligent operation to aligning themselves Mm -hmm. with, with yourself and, and Tommy ribs, Poozy, shout out to Tommy. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, I have it on good authority that they're, I'm not going to say who, but they, it seems like they might be recruiting a a female ultra runner as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, somebody who's well-respected. Um, so, you know, and of course, with, with Tommy's situation, uh, I think it's just amazing that they've, um, you know, so, um, yeah, so stridently stood by his side through what's been an incredibly challenging, difficult year for himself Mm -hmm. and his family. Um, have you, have you, uh, had any communication with, uh, with Tommy about, uh, you know, craft or his situation or, um, is there anything you can share that's, uh, that's not, uh, divulging too much we have a we have like a team group thread um and so you know it's just awesome to be a part of that um yeah i mean he's a fighter for sure uh you know i'm inspired every day and just yeah Yeah. uh yeah you're you're rocking your team ribs hat right now for the the listeners well i feel compelled to to read something that tommy posted on his instagram Uh, that I think is emblematic of uh, Kraft's yeah. commitment. Um, 
basically what he says, this is uh, a post that he put up when Kraft announced the launch of the new footwear, which I think was just a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. the end of January. Uh, basically what it says is, and this is a paraphrase, or it's just a piece of his uh, his post. Maybe I'll link to it in the show notes so people can check it out. What he says is, also, I cannot be more blown away by the way at Craft Sportswear has continued to support me and my family over this hellish year of sickness and painstaking rehabilitation. Their choice to stay by my side has been unprecedented, at least as far as anything I've ever witnessed in the athletic world. I hope this has provided even a shred of insight into who they are and what values they hold as a company. With that, I can not be more proud to represent craft the craft company and be part of the craft family the future is still to be written but it is my sincere hope that this is only the beginning so pretty freaking awesome man and i think you know in in our sport it just fits so well you know it's like the the brands who commit to their athletes and um Mm -hmm. you know through good times and bad i think uh are rewarded by the loyalty not only of their athletes but of um of the community at large so shout out to craft that's that's freaking awesome yeah, absolutely. You know, companies like, you know, I think North Face does an awesome job of this craft, obviously, as they're newer, but doing an awesome job. Patagonia. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like ultra racing is tough and it's tough on the body. And if you're if your model is uh, getting people for a few years and then, you know, whatever, like that just it's not going to work on the trail and it's not going to inspire the trail community. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, there's brands doing really awesome stuff, keeping people on for a long time. Yeah. And also, you know, you have years where things just absolutely suck. So it's, it's good to to not feel that your, your, your livelihood is in danger when things like that happen to you, like Tommy's situation, like, holy shit, you know, God damn it. It's amazing. Yeah. Right. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, you, you're a Oregon boy. I think you grew up in the Portland area under the influence Mm -hmm. of, of the big swoosh for a long time. You were part of the original trail team from Nike, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, without saying anything that's, I, I'm obviously no, I know you well enough to know that you wouldn't, you know, disrespect them or whatever, but was there any, um, was there any, uh, sort of feeling of, you know, second guessing yourself about making this, this big sort of career move at the time that you made it? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Portland. I, when I, you know, in middle school, I went out and pitched like designed and built a shoe and pitched it. Um, Really? It was like a school yeah, project? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> cool. Um, you know, Alberto Salazar was one of my high school coaches. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've been in the shadow of that for a really long time. And so, you know, making the decision to leave a company after a long time, um, you know, was a, a thing I really thought a lot about and had to, um, really like step back and decide what my priorities were and what my goals were. And, and it took a long time to make that decision. Um, but yeah, by the, by the time it was time to make the final decision, I was crystal clear in my book and I was uh, so excited. You know, I'm, I'm really thankful for the awesome people at Nike Mm -hmm. and the awesome opportunities and, really, really thankful, but yeah, it was a crystal clear decision. I was excited to run for craft going yeah. forward. 
Well, good. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't need to say anymore. And I think it's a, it's a classy thing. And, you know, I appreciate yeah. you sort of sharing that part of the decision-making because I'm sure people are, are interested to hear, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I recorded a, a sort of just a commentary podcast where I, I talked about the fact that Nike had lost both yourself and Camille Heron. And, um, mm, yeah. you know, uh, obviously like who are we to judge their, their priorities or whatever. And I think, yeah. you know, Pat Werhane has probably done the best of any sports marketer in the world of trail and ultra running of identifying and supporting young athletes as they've been on the rise in the sport. And, uh, you know, it's sort of turned their team into like a feeder system to other teams, but you know, they, they do a good job making good product, obviously, and they've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, it seems that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so anyway, not to be critical of them, you know, we, we don't know what, uh, what those, those decisions come down to. So I'm just glad that you're, you're in a good position. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. So catch us up on, uh, where you are now. Like how's your running going? Um, how did, uh, Mm -hmm. this year of no racing, uh, sort of, uh, did it reveal anything new to you? Any silver linings that came from it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I guess the, the biggest thing is like, I wake up every morning and I'm just so hungry to race like, <laughs> me too this is bro. Always, i know isn't it, it's just like oh my word like it's been a year since i've actually raced um and man it's just like it's been great because you can just train perfectly properly without any tapering without any recovery like you know proper cycle obviously but like no big recovery blocks no big tapers uh so yeah, fitness is awesome, but you know, it's hard to be like, where am I going to put this? <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah. So, so anything on your radar? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try and do either Sonoma hundred K or canyons hundred K. Um, I'm signed up for Lavaredo. Not mm. sure if getting over to Italy is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, seems pretty unlikely, uh, but who knows? Um, I'd really like to run a, a fast road hundred, uh, but trying to figure out where that's going to fit, you know, maybe desert solstice, maybe something this winter. Well, we'll talk uh, a little bit about, um, speaking of fast road hundreds, the, the hundred miler that you did here in Portland, uh, this past summer, yeah. talk about, uh, yeah. maybe what the purpose was behind that. And also, yeah. What, what you learned from that, uh, little hundred mile time trial experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a uh, hundred miles on a four mile loop on in downtown Portland's waterfront, um, to raise funds and awareness for an organization called charity water, uh, that digs and provides clean water wells in the developing world. Uh, and so that's something that like, you know, um, I just wanted like 700 million people don't have clean water. And I'm like, this is something I can't live knowing and not, you know, try and do something uh, mm-hmm. about. And so I was like, I love going running. And if I can bring a little bit of awareness, that's awesome. Uh, so I ran 13 hours and 20 minutes and it was just kind of like a fun, casual day. A lot of people came down and jogged a lap. Um, 
And yeah, man, doing a hundred miler just for fun is actually, is actually really fun. <laughs> uh, like without having that race effort, like just going out and running hundred miles, it's like, you know, you can stop and eat as much as you want. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I learned a lot about running by running a long way without a real time goal. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was fun. You talked about uh, stopping and eating, and I know this was something that uh, was a light bulb thing for you during mm-hmm. that uh, that hundred miler. So, so talk about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So you know, most hundreds, most trail races, period. I rush through the aid stations, and I don't eat that much, and I do a pretty poor job of fueling uh, in general. Uh, in this situation, since I really had no agenda, like I wasn't rushed at all. I I was the only person out there. Um, and I had my truck set up. And so every four miles I passed my truck and I could grab a little bit of whatever I wanted. I pretty much stopped every time. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I ate a lot felt great, never had any stomach issues, never had any bonk issues. And I was like, maybe this is the way to run (laughs) hundreds. Like just really take your time in the aid stations and don't rush. Like eat well, run, eat, you know, run in the middle, eat at the aid stations. And so I think that will be something I take going forward. Uh, Just prioritize fueling because it does pay off. Yeah. yeah, that, that was eye-opening to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. So how much money did you end up raising? Uh, yeah, six thousand, six or $7,000. Um, Hell yeah, bro. I think I threw 60, you guys off. Six, you did. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> of course, bro. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's awesome, man. I think that's it, like... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I think... Uh, the uh that's what makes our sport beautiful and and it's it's so cool that in a year without racing you just took the initiative yourself to to do something that would not only make you a better athlete that would but would also make a difference and it reminds me of uh when uh it was probably the last time i saw you which is at at tiger claw in may of 2019 which was the absolute depths of my personal issues that i was having at the time i I, my ankle was had been broken i don't know three months before. And, uh, I was just yeah. really not feeling good about life and, and you could totally see that in me. And, uh, you know, just to, to publicly tell the listeners sort of what you did for me, that was touching and meant a lot. It was, you, you presented me with, uh, some beautiful, uh, wooden coasters, this sort of like, uh, engraved burn burning engraving, maybe is it what it was? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. As, it's, as sort of a gift to me. So after you win this awesome race in, uh, in Issaquah, Washington, shout out to Ethan Newberry. Not only, I mean, you didn't, you didn't just, you know, celebrate it, but uh, you, you took your time to present me with a gift to make me feel better in, the, in a really low moment in my life. So super appreciate it, that, man. I think it's revealing yeah. of, your, of your character. Have you always just, been sort of- our, been. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We've all been in that, you know, not you did, you had a string, like we don't need to go into it, but you had a string about, and I just felt for you, man. And so I just want, you know, I knew someday you'd have a, you'd have be back in your, you know, running fit and great and just have a drink. And 
Yeah. And hopefully enjoy that. But yeah. Well, it, it's Ethan true. Put on an awesome race. It's an awesome race. And I think he's got big ambitions for it, but I mean, it goes back yeah. to what we were saying earlier. It's like, that was the moment in my career when I was convinced it was never coming back. You know, it was like, I have tapped the bottom of the well. My body is completely rejecting this. Now I can't run trails yeah. without my ankles just folding over. And, uh, yeah. So it was a t- tough moment and you made it a little bit easier. So, so appreciate that, bro. Yeah. Have you already been, have yeah, you always been sort of like artistically inclined like that? I mean, it, it's not, uh, doesn't seem to be like something you can just do, uh, without a little bit of practice, uh, any other sort of, it's... uh, unique skills that you have, you want to share? <laughs> you know, I'm always like, I'm always messing around with stuff. Like, uh, you know, if I get like stressed out, I, I do a lot of watercoloring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like, I'm not good at any, or like wood burning or watercolor, you know, um, painting stuff. Like I'm not very good at it, but it's, it's just relaxing. And so you do it, to... you do artistic stuff consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, you got to, you got to share this stuff with your fans, bro. No. You... <laughs> it's, it's really not good. <laughs> got to take take pictures and uh and post it on your story if not like you know put a put an art store up on your trails and tarmac website go shopping (laughs) Uh, i'll post one for you but that's it (laughs) sweet man well sort of as we wind down the last thing i want to talk about is trails and tarmac that i just mentioned this is obviously your your coaching business and as somebody who's sort of trying to get his own thing off the ground right now, I know that it's uh it's not an easy thing to sort of try and build something from scratch. It's sort of like training for a race that never comes. And, uh, it's just a constant battle. Um, how is, uh, building trails and tarmac over the last several years sort of informed your life as an athlete or vice versa? How's your life as an athlete sort of informed your, your entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think, um, so originally Trails Darmic was my college business plan. Um, it was essentially like, I was like, you know, I, I love coaching athletes and I love working with, um, you know, other runners. And I'm like, if I, if my experience and my education can benefit them in some way, like it'd be really fun. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that I enjoy from coaching is, you know, I like working with all athletes, but I really love working with kind of newer, newer athletes. Um, a, because they, because little changes can make a huge difference. Uh-huh. Like explaining to someone you should power hike instead of running this uphill. Yeah. And then they do that for a few weeks and they're like, Oh, I am not only finishing my long run, 20 minutes faster it's much easier (laughs) um and it's just like you know just making these little changes like oh actually you don't have to wear a camelback and drink 24 ounces of water like six to eight ounces would be fine you know or like little things um and they're just so psyched like you can't help but you know i'm a pretty stoked person as you are uh, <laughs> most of the time about running, but when someone's new and that just new energy is, is, is contagious. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I love just, you know, working with a few athletes and doing that. So, yeah. So yeah. It, it prompts me to, to wonder whether or not like you have a coach yourself. I, I can never remember you sort of like talking publicly about coaching guidance that you've had. Yeah. So, so, uh, 
how has uh, maybe coaching other athletes helped you to uh, tweak your own training and sort mm-hmm. of, is there somebody who, who provides that leadership and guidance for your training? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I work together with one of the other trails and trauma coaches, Brett Hornig. Um, so we were college teammates and so he knows like, you know, my whole training history and kind of what works and what doesn't, um, since 2009, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we kind of, he really does in the end, write The training, um, and it's just a smarter, it's just a smart version of what I would have written. <laughs> you know, I would have written so 12 like times tw- okay, he writes 10. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah, you, you take, you know, 20% of the volume off or something like exactly, that. Yeah. 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 And if he writes it, I'll do it. If I write it, I'll, yeah. It's just, you know, it's nice to have somebody like that who you just keep you accountable. Um, it's genius. Kind of tell you when you're being stupid. Yeah. Totally. I mean, just looking back at when I first got connected with my coach, Jason Coop, two things that you mm-hmm. said are so, uh, so specific to our relationship. One was that my overall training volume probably came down, but mm-hmm. also my, my training quality went way up. And yeah. to your point about like making those little changes for people that are newer to the sport or less experienced, they make just huge differences. And I had literally mm-hmm. never run an interval until I got connected with, yeah. with Jason Coop. And then all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. it was like night and day, how much better of an athlete I was. And of course, yeah. when you see that, like your athlete who finished his long run 20 minutes faster and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and made it feel easier. It's like the most addictive feeling in the world, you know? And then, you know, yeah. you, you kind of expect that that's going to be exponential. Uh, so you got to continually totally. be creative and, and figure out ways is to, to make yourself yeah. better. I love also yeah. that you're, you went and did a presentation for Nike when you were whatever, 12 years old yeah. or whatever. And mm-hmm. that your college, your college, uh, project was, uh, was basically pitching trails and tarmac. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's running is, uh, is in your DNA and, uh, it's great yeah. that you can make your living from it as an athlete. And also, yeah as a coach and, and help, uh, bring that passion and expertise to other people. So, so finishing up, Dave, uh, you know, you mentioned a couple of the maybe goals that you have for the future, you know, fast hundred mile on the road, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that excites you about, uh, 2021, if anything happens or longer term? Yeah, I'd like to do, um, you know, I think going forward that doing kind of the charity water uh, run is something I'd like to partner with races in the future. So, you know, if I'm doing Labrador or whatever, uh, you know, it's like, it just gives like a little extra something when uh, there's just something else behind it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, supporting a cause that whatever it is, you know, it doesn't have to be water, whatever, whatever someone's passionate about. Um, you know, that for me, that's just something that makes it a little bit more fun mm-hmm. and inspiring. So that's something I'll definitely do in the future. Um, but yeah, man, I'm just excited to get back out there and race. Yeah. Hell yeah. Can't wait. Same Z's yeah. bro. Same Z's. Yeah. I bet. Well, yeah. well what, uh, do you, what do you think about this year? I mean, hard rock is the thing, man. I mean, it has been for two yeah. years. So I mean, I, I yeah. feel good about That'll it. Happen. Yeah. I feel like if there's that's any race, happen. any race yeah. that's built for our 
current moment, it, it's hard rock, but, uh, yeah. you know, I've, I've learned not yes. to, uh, you know, get too excited about anything over the last year. It's been one of the big learning yeah. experiences as to let go of the feeling of wanting to plan and things like that. So yeah. we'll, we'll just hope that, yeah. uh, that that comes around and that we can all gather again yeah. soon. And, uh, Maybe we can use those coasters to share a nice frosty beer after yeah. a, after a race yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Cool, bro. Well, so appreciate your time. So appreciate your candor yeah. and, and honesty talking about the ups and downs of of your career. It's awesome mm -hmm. uh, to see your new thing with Craft. So congratulations on that. Thanks. And uh, I hope we can connect again soon in the very near future. I hope so too. Yeah, come up anytime. Seriously, North Cascades open up in late June. So yeah. Yeah. As I said, keep your couch warm for me. Yeah. I will. I will. All right, bro. Thanks so much to David. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. What a great guy. What an awesome athlete. If you aren't already, what the heck is wrong with you? Go follow David on Instagram. He has one of the best profiles in all of trail and ultra running, which is saying something. I have a link to that in the show notes. So go give him a follow. I also linked to that post from Tommy Ribs that I read from during the course of our conversation. If you guys want to check that out. And finally, I linked to trails and Tarmac, David's coaching business. I didn't ask if he was taking on new clients personally, but they have a great roster of amazing coaches over there at Trails and Tarmac. So check them out if you are in the market for ultramarathon coaching. And if you're in the market for other types of ultramarathon guidance, leadership, inspiration, go subscribe to our app please. And thank you. It's the only way that I can keep doing this podcast is if we do get a good amount of support over there on the app that we've put so much time and energy into and that we are so proud of. You can find that in the app store. Just search Pillars, P-Y-L-L-A-R-S. Finally, my final ask, please do leave a rating or review in the Apple podcast store whatever you call it. That would mean a lot to me. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed. We'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.